Welcome to Believing the Bible with Scott Lane and Terry Reed of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association with a message of hope in today's troubled world based on biblical truths. We hope that today's program is enlightening and inspirational. Welcome to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane, President of the San Antonio Bible-Based Science Association. And I'm Terry Reed, a director at SAPSA. We are here to reassure you that you can believe the Bible from the very first verse. Today, we would like to take up the topic of living fossils and how they show God's recent creation. Do you mean my high school biology teacher? She was the same biology teacher my mother had in high school. We always thought that she must have slept in formaldehyde. Hmm. No. I'm talking about animals, fish, and plants found alive today, which show that they have not changed since first created. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear that God designed and created every living thing according to its kind. The fixity of the kinds is a tenet of scientific creationism, and one of the big ones which differentiates it from evolution. The Bible clearly supports the fixity of the kinds as it repeatedly restates that everything was made according to its kind. Moreover, the Bible repeatedly emphasizes in Genesis chapter 1 that everything that God made was good. If all creatures were in in an intermediary stage and not yet finished, and the process being used was a very inefficient one of death and struggle to survive, God would not have made such a repeated pronouncement. One great example of a living fossil is the horseshoe crab. They are easily found today in the seas of the world, but we also find fossils of them in deep excavations dating back as far as a supposed 450 million years. The problem for evolution is that when we compare our living horseshoe crabs with these supposedly ancient fossils, there's almost no difference whatsoever. That should not be. According to evolution, in the intervening 450 million years, due to the forces of changing environments, as well as random mutations, there should be a wide variation and change in this kind over time. The stasis, which means no change over hundreds of millions of years, far better resembles the Bible's description of the fixity of the kinds rather than evolution's constant change. Indeed, this and many other examples of living fossils gives observational evidence in support of the biblical view of the kinds God created being fixed and not as infinitely variable as evolution would like to tell us they are. I believe another example of a living fossil is the coelacanth. You're quite right. The coelacanth was thought to be an extinct fish which was also supposed to be a transitional form between fish and amphibians living and supposedly dying out some 65 million years ago. But fossils of supposedly 400 million year old coelacanth and those dated at 65 million years show it did not change in the fossil record for over 400 million years. But it was shown in 1938 that it was not extinct when fishermen caught a live coelacanth in deep waters off the coast of Madagascar. This live specimen also showed that much of what had been thought of this fossil being a transitional form was incorrect. All of that is very true. And again, we compare the living fossils of these silicants today with those in the fossil record we find, and they do not change in the supposed 
400 million years of time, defying evolutionary theory. In fact, we have now found a second species of coelacanth in the waters off Japan. Why was this fish looked on as a transitional form between fish and amphibians? When looking only at the fossils of dead coelacanths, it was thought that they observed two things which made it an excellent candidate for transitional form. First, its bottom fins seemed to be large and very sturdy. Thus, it was theorized that these were fins in transition on their way to becoming legs and feet and would be sturdy enough to drag the coelacanth onto the shore when it forged out of the water. Further, when looking at the fossilized rocks, paleontologists thought they saw the outline of a fatty lung or a fat-filled single-lobed vestigial lung, and thus they thought that this was an example of a early lungfish making its first steps into changing into an amphibian. Uh, but none of this was borne out when we found the live specimens. No, it turned out that the bottom fins were just that, fins, and not connected to the fish's skeleton, and could in no way work as proto-legs for it to drag itself up out of the water. Further, the two species alive today show only functional gills, and no hint of a vestigial lung of any type. So secular paleontologists before 1938 saw what they wanted to see in silicanth fossils, not what was actually there. This should be a lesson that observation of living animals is far different and far superior to trying to deduce an animal's functioning from fossils. It should also be a signal to us of the real limitations on how much we can learn and be sure of when examining only skeletal rock or bone fossils. You are listening to Believing the Bible. This is Scott Lane with Terry Reed. If you would like to learn more, go to sabsa.org. That is S-A-B-B-S-A dot org. We are talking today about living fossils, animals alive today which show no change in hundreds of millions of years of supposed time. These specimens are very supportive of the Bible's claim of God's creating everything according to its kind and suggesting that the kinds are fixed. If there are just these two examples, then I guess the evolutionists would claim that these are the rare exceptions to change throughout the world of biology. What other examples of living fossils are there? Fortunately, there are tons of them which dispel such a claim of these being rare counterexamples of evolution. We have found supposedly 200 million year old dragonfly fossils which show no difference from the modern dragonflies. We have also found stingray fossil impressions dated at 250 million years old which are almost exactly like the stingrays of today. One I know about is shrimp. Paleontologists have found many shrimp fossils dating back as far as supposedly 170 million years ago, and each of these fossils shows no significant variation from the others. Altogether, there's a list of 21 more of these examples in stasis, or fixity of the kinds, which is exactly what evolution says should not happen, but what the Bible's concept of the fixity of the kinds says this is what we should find in nature because of God's original design. These fossils and comparative observations put observational science on the side of the Bible and not evolutionary biology. But what about all of the other species which do show massive change over time in transitional forms found in the rock strata? Scientists will often string together several fossils from clearly different species of animals 
and say this shows how they evolved. However, the tale of the coelacanth should tell us how flimsy and error-prone such tales can be. How do we know that the fossils they are showing us are not from completely different kinds of creatures, many extinct, which did not evolve from one to another, but which simply have some similar features which made the scientists group them together even though they may not have been part of the same biological kind as described in the Bible. What you are saying is that this could all boil down to a question of worldview. Both the creationist and the secular paleontologist have the same fossil evidence, but it is how we look at that evidence and categorize it in our own minds that determines whether we see an evolutionary pattern or a biblical pattern of creation. That is exactly what I'm saying. And we are already have experimental data from the coelacanth and other living fossils showing that when we try and push fossils into an evolutionary framework, they also often do not fit nor hold up when the real animals are discovered. But the biblical narrative of created kind stands up quite well to the observations we have found in the fossil record. I would also point out that these observations, which are supported of the fixity of the kinds in nature, also fit well with God's second description of his creation in Genesis chapter 1, which was that his creations were all very good. If evolution were true, then we and all life are the products of billions of years of evolutionary change. Death is actually a good thing, which carries forward change, but it also precludes our need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. If there was not an original Adam and Eve, and man is just an evolved animal, then there was no original sin and no need for Christ to ever come onto the scene. The Bible tells us of a very different reality. It shows us a reality of death being the enemy of God's creation and a temporary condition brought on by our sinfulness. It also gives us the promises that this final enemy will be done away with in the final days when God will restore his creation to the perfect creation that he first instituted for us on this planet. In that day, we will be able to live with him forever with no death or decay. The Bible says that the earth will be returned to the Eden-like existence it enjoyed before the curse was put on all creation because it entered into the world. We can only pray that day comes very soon. Yes, the Creator can reverse all of the things we hate about this world. His original creation did not try to eat each other as animals do today, as the Bible teaches that all animals and man were originally vegetarians. His original creation on this planet was free from sickness and disease, as he said when he evaluated it all and that it, he said that it was very good. His original creation did not have death nor decay. These were part of the curse on us, the earth, and our environment because of our sin. There is every indication that the second law of thermodynamics called entropy, which means everything is wearing out and wearing down, was not part of the original creation, but a physical law inserted into God's creation as a result of our actions. If God decides to rewrite the laws of physics and reshape this world back into the form it was originally in, then there is every indication both from Scripture and from the evidence of what He has done in this universe that He can do so fully if He wishes to. And I know, Terry, that it will because it was God's original intent and He will restore that original intent. 
Information for creation events in our area are on our website's calendar page. For more information or to schedule a presentation, go to sabsa.org or call 210-599-7240. When you go to our website, you can click on a link to our newsletter. Our website has a link for contact information on which you can order our newsletter to be emailed to you or you can call us. Also go to whyshouldyoubelieve.com. That is Terry's website containing articles looking at current day issues from a biblical perspective. Sabsa meets the second Tuesday of each month at 7 p.m. We are now meeting at Faith Lutheran Church just south of the corner of Jones Maltzberger and Thousand Oak. There you will find biblical apologetics and creation science teaching found nowhere else in Bear County, as well as the availability of books and videos on these important subjects. If you missed any part of this show, you can listen to the show anytime by going to the AM 630 KSLR, the Word in South Texas website. Click on KSLR Podcast, scroll down until you find Believing the Bible. Please join us again next Saturday for Believing the Bible. I'm Scott And for Terry Reed, Dr. Carl Williams, and Ed Salzwell, thanks for listening. And we hope you found today a reason to believe the Bible.